Wednesday night on the fan pregame, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Ailish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert. It's becoming a very busy, jam-packed Wednesday. We're sitting upstairs waiting for our show and breaking news this, breaking news that. We will get all into it. Uh, Frank Cervelli is going to join us momentarily. We've got Wednesday night hockey on the network. 7 p.m., Montreal will face the new Look Flyers, followed by the last two cup champs going head-to-head Vegas and Colorado at 10 p.m., Frank will help us break down that. we got some new trade candidates on the board. And Corey Perry is now free agent available to sign with any NHL team. Where he might go, Frank might tell us. Our newest colleague, Aaron Bronstetter, will join us in studio at 6.30 to talk SportsSense's new partnership with the UFC. A hot ticket, UFC 297 in Toronto in about a week and a little bit, week Saturday. We're still trying to get ourselves there. <laughs> we'll have Darko thoughts ahead of the Raptors back-to-back against Kawhi and the Clippers tonight. I uh, cannot wait to hear Darko's rant another time. We will definitely play that uh, in about 20 minutes. So let's bring in Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com. Frank, thanks for joining us. Happy Wednesday. There he is. Hey, guys. How are you? We're pretty good. Uh, we are sitting waiting for the show, and we get the breaking news alert that Corey Perry is now eligible to be a free agent or is a free agent now. And I wonder for you, um, initially, what kind of complications or any might happen with trying to sign him and a team wanting to go through the process? Or are all teams just ready to pounce on a free agent uh, that is Corey Perry? I think there's a number of teams that are really intrigued by the possibility of Corey Perry. I think the biggest question for them is, Are they willing to withstand whatever PR hit may Mm -hmm. come from signing him? And really the big thing that's related to that is no one really knows exactly what's going on or what happened behind the scenes with Corey Perry. The Blackhawks were really tight lipped. And I can tell you that even in the exact moment that it was happening shortly after the contract termination, this is 40 days ago. Now this was November 30th that this happened And people, I had gotten three NHL GMs that called me that week saying, what do you know? (laughs) Is there any chance that we could sign this guy? What do you think of the story? What do you think of what's happening? What will happen if we sign him? And so there's certainly interest that exists out there. Corey Perry has kind of turned back the clock on his career on pace for 50 plus points this year. Looked great with Connor Bedard. And yes, there's, you know, been a chunk of time that he's missed here since that contract termination, but If there's anything we know about Corey Perry, it's how much he absolutely is in love with the game. And I think there's also been a period of time that's existed here, not just with the conversation with Commissioner Gary Bettman, but behind the scenes in the NHL, one of the big things that people have been talking about is maybe the Chicago Blackhawks with what they've been through and how cautious they might have handled this went to a different level than some other teams might have in terms of making that contract termination. But we also can't really fully say for sure one way or the other and make judgment on that because we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, it's interesting because Corey Perry was in full chase a Stanley Cup mode, right, for the last couple of years before deciding, hey, I'm going to go and take as much money as possible and play for a team that might be in lottery position or likely was going to be in lottery position uh, once again, do you think he reroutes back to his, his uh, previous strategy and its small market Stanley Cup contender? Or is it just about, you know, the money again for Corey Perry? And I guess that's a difficult question to ask you because we are speculating. But if you're going to make a judgment, is it is it small market Stanley Cup contender for him? It's actually never been about the money. Uh, that's not why he went to Chicago. Mm. He made the decision to go to Chicago for Connor Bedard. He wanted to have a front row seat to that. He wanted a chance to play with him. Um, His son, 
Uh, and I've written some stories about Corey Perry and his family is a huge hockey fan. And, and when he left the lightning, you know, thought process was where's the next top star in the league. And his son was like, I want you to play with Connor Bedard dad. And that's kind of exactly what he went and did in Chicago. So I'd imagine that a uh, chasing a Stanley cup will be a, a huge part of that. Um, and I don't think it's market dependent, certainly not money dependent. Corey Perry just wants to play. And that mark, that much has been abundantly obvious. He's one of those guys. You're going to have to take the game from kicking and screaming. Okay. So this is definitely one that we'll keep tabs on, uh, as it unfolds. I, I heard that he has to sign by the trade deadline to be eligible to play for the playoffs. So we still have a little bit of time, Frank. Uh, we will definitely, uh, cover this one as it keeps unfolding. So new look flyers tonight in action against Montreal at 7 PM on sports Uh, what's your take on the handling or mishandling of this situation over the past couple of days? From the Cutter Gauthier perspective? Yes. Yeah, I mean, let's start there with the mishandling. I think really what's played out there has been incredibly childish. I think, you know, look, you're you're playing or about to play in the top men's professional hockey league in the world. Life is full of hard conversations and decisions, and no one has any issue, you know, maybe outside of Philadelphia that, you want to play somewhere else. You're definitely not the first person on planet earth to say, I don't want to play in one place after being drafted there and go somewhere else. The problem is he was never really able to engage in conversation directly with the flyers, leaving it to his agent who then came out on Tuesday and issued a statement that really said nothing. It was, you know, uh, I'd say Merriam-Webster diarrhea is what that was, (laughs) just pure nothing. And so you come out with that statement, and now what? He's just left with more questions to answer whenever he gets to the point of being able to play for the Anaheim Ducks in the NHL. When you have the Philadelphia Flyers send two of their, you know, more prominent alumni that work in their player development department in John LeClaire and Patrick Sharp, two Stanley cup winners to one of your college games to not just watch you, but have a chance to talk with you after the game. And instead you send your coach out at Boston college to sell them. Hey, you know what? It's great that you guys came here, but he doesn't want to speak to you or the flyers. And then you have the president of hockey ops, Keith Jones and Danny Briere fly to Sweden during the world juniors where you're putting on an MVP caliber performance and you can't even sit down with them and stare them in the face and say, appreciate your effort, but I'm not signing in Philly. That's just, it's weak. And that's, you know, that's my thought process on the mishandling. I get where the flyers are at and the PR, uh, you know, sort of blitz that they put on the other night. They're losing a top, top caliber prospect. One of the top five prospects in all of hockey And it's an organization that's never really been spurned before. One of the, quote, original seven, a crown jewel franchise in the NHL that spends big money, is a top three sports market in the U.S. This doesn't happen, and now the Flyers kind of have to go back and start over again at the forward position. Yeah, given you laid out, it's almost uh, almost improbable that they were able to keep it quiet because uh, this is happening clearly with other people. I guess in the vicinity, and yet uh, they were able to keep uh, wraps up uh, with it and uh, get let themselves me, a pretty good prospect wait, let, in Jamie Drysdale. I was going to say, let me be the first to say that I am ashamed as an insider <laughs> that I didn't have you know more of a clue as to exactly what was happening because they did such a good job of throwing me off the scent when I was asking questions. I went through all my messages, July 5th. Mm. He doesn't show up to uh, to development camp, and they were like, ah, well, maybe he just played too much hockey. And I kind of just like mm. was like, okay, I guess. 
And then this was bubbling under the surface. And I said, you guys have either done a super impressive job of keeping it under wraps or maybe I'm just bad at my job. <laughs> no, top 100, right? Top uh, 100 uh, and higher than that for us. Uh, on the flip side, uh, there are the Montreal Canadiens. They got 17 wins from 39 games this year. Only eight regulation wins. Uh, bottom five goals for, bottom 10 goals against. Uh, they don't have anyone in the top 75 in scoring. Uh, no one in the top 50 in uh, in goals or rather 75 no one in the top 50 in scoring are we seeing any semblance of a productive step forward from the canadians this year is this kind of another lost season like are we seeing what i I know this is a valley but how steep is this valley with this team are we nearing the upswing with this montreal canadians team yeah I, i think we're nearing the upswing i think i would have liked to have seen more of a linear progression in terms of the steps forward that they took under Marty St. Louis last year and sort of how you could kind of begin to envision then putting that together. I'd say one real positive of this season has been that at least for the time being in the foreseeable future, it seems like they've figured out their goaltending position with Sam Montembeau being the guy moving forward. And, and that part has been key. I think we'd all like to see, you know, a little bit more of a tangible production, you know, standpoint, uh, increasing production from Uri Slavkovsky. But I'm still real confident that he's going to end up being a top flight player in the NHL. I think, you know, you look at some of these development tracks, especially for some guys that are bigger and you see how Quentin Byfield has blasted off this year for the LA Kings. And I'm like, we were so kind of down on Byfield as a top pick the last couple of years, venturing his way through the NHL. And now you see it and you're like, damn, that is really impressive. And that part I think is still ahead for Slavkovsky. I think the Canadians have not that far off from when everyone's healthy, um, a playoff close to caliber forward group. I think their defense needs a lot of work. And that's the one big thing to me, you know, as they continue to put the pieces together uh, that stands out. But I also like the way that they've approached this little wins on the margins here and there stacking up three and 5% really smart moves. They add up to something really special at the end of the day. So let's give it some time to see this puzzle come together. We're chatting with Frank Cervelli, dailyfaceoff.com. Of course, um, last night we would have had Connor versus Connor, but Connor Bedard is out for about six to eight weeks. As you reported, underwent surgery on Monday to repair that fractured jaw. So obviously there's a open spot at the All-Star game. I wonder for you, will a Blackhawk be filling that or will they pick elsewhere? And maybe is this a tiptoeing into not every team needs to have an All-Star? Well, not every team has had an All-Star mm-hmm. the last number of years. Sometimes these injuries pop up so late that they're not able to make it happen. But um, for me, I, I this is an unpopular take. I'd actually, I like seeing a representative from all 32 teams. This is about... Kids, I don't I don't know what you guys were like watching the All-Star game growing up, but for me, I loved every second of it. The biggest thing that I loved was seeing on TV the uh, pregame introductions where everyone is introduced and how special that kind of felt, you know, when I was watching that as a kid. Um, and so when you're a fan of the Blackhawks and you don't have anyone there, like that kind of hurts, especially someone of Connor Bedard's caliber not able to make it. I think a really simple solution is Seth Jones is about a week away from returning If he's healthy enough by then, he seems to be a pretty quality selection, you know, owner of a $75 million deal that uh, could easily fill in. And if not, like do something a little different. Like I'm not opposed at all to seeing someone like, you know, Jason Dickinson, not a true all-star by, you know, rest of the league caliber, but 
what they asked these guys to do with a really depleted lineup this year, you know what? Like someone deserves to be celebrated and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's tough to spin. Jason Dickinson is an all-star <laughs> and we are, you know, we're taking it super serious because it's in Toronto this year and we're, mm-hmm. we may or may not be down there uh, doing some content our, ourselves. So uh, I, it is disappointing. Just like flat out, it's disappointing that Connor Bedard isn't there. And if you replace it with Seth Jones or Jason Dickinson, it doesn't soothe anything. But I, I do think it, it's unfair to the to the next person on the wrong, at least on that list, that's not going to get to go that really truly is having a great season. But again, this is about the kids, as you mentioned, just, just that, you know, we'd like to see the best this year uh, more specifically. Connor McDavid used his voice to change the all-star format, at least with the skills competition. And everyone's lauding him again for using his voice last night, not happy with an offside call. And I guess the (laughs) process by which we determine whether it's offside or onside. I I wonder, like, it certainly mattered for the all-star game, right? His voice, it it certainly loomed large and it changed something. But when Connor McDavid speaks up, like how much does it matter for you? How much does it matter to the NHL? How much how much weight does his voice carry when he does decide to speak up? When the best player on planet Earth speaks up, I listen. Mm. I can almost guarantee you that people in hockey ops at the NHL were listening today and talking about it. And I'm sure even at the highest levels of the NHL executive, for someone that doesn't open their mouth all that often, when they speak, they command your attention. And I think that's what makes it even more pointed is not only did he say it, but he's right. If you have to zoom and zoom in again and zoom in further and you're, you know, trying to look and search for something, play on. Like, that's not the spirit of what this was. And by the way, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman deserves full marks for this because he was totally against video review. Because he said at the time, I remember being at the GM meetings in Florida and he said, it's great that you guys want this and I appreciate the certainty that everyone thinks that it provides. But what it does is it opens up Pandora's box that all of a sudden you begin looking for things that just aren't even in the spirit of the game. The toe hanging in the air. Like the fact that we're searching for that at times is it boggles my mind. And let's take it a step further. What Connor McDavid said is right, but there needs to be even more change than that because how about the offside play that occurs a minute and 13 seconds mm-hmm. at, you know, before they end up scoring a goal that gets reviewed and takes, you know, wipes away the whole thing? To me, I, I think it could certainly be tweaked and streamlined to the point where, like, let's just get back to some common sense here. <laughs> Cannot agree more. The Matt right. Duchesne goal, it, it ruined hockey. It continues <laughs> it to ruin hockey. Did. Um, okay, so we're talking about Oilers being red hot. Well, the Florida Panthers are maybe even hotter. Um, I wonder for you, and I, I saw today on your on your Twitter feed, you had a good chat with Sam Reinhart. Um, we talked a lot about how William Nylander's discussion would be setting the table maybe for Elias Pettersson. But the discussion with Sam Reinhardt, I don't think we've really got into it as much. Uh, your discussion talking about how that might set the table or may not set the table. He's having an incredible season and he's due to get paid. So how do you think that's going to affect or not affect him? Well, I, I think from a per salary cap percentage perspective, it may affect him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still on track for fewer points than William Nylander this year, but he is on pace for 59 goals, which is insane. He's mm-hmm. been the hottest scorer in the NHL. Two back of Austin Matthews leads the league in power play goals. Um, six goals in his last four games and is shooting an NBA like 27.4 from the field this year, which is <laughs> crazy. Um, but you know what? When you look at 
uh, an AAV perspective, which is what fans really care about, there's probably not going to be that big of an impact. And the truth is there's a 17% disparity in tax, which everyone knows about at this point. The $9.5 million that Matthew Kachuk earns in Florida, the equivalent of that in Toronto, basically what Matthew Kachuk ends up putting in his jeans at the end of the day is $12.875 million in Toronto. So mm. it's kind of like people keep saying, oh, the Panthers can't afford to keep Sam Reinhardt. And I'm like, well, do you understand how this works? Like basically what they're probably pitching him on is, would you take eight years times 9 million bucks, 72 million, we'll call it a day. And if you're all about ego, which I don't get a sense at all that Sam Reinhardt is, all you care about is what's going in your bank account at the end of the day and 9 million bucks would actually put him a bit higher than William Nylander at the end of the day. So it's an it's an unfair advantage, so to speak, that the Florida Panthers can seize on to help keep this championship caliber core together. Uh, currently earning heavily taxed dollars in Toronto is Ilya Samsonov. Once again, he's back up. That's the big news in Toronto today. Uh, his spell with the Marlies or Marlies adjacent ends, uh, and he's eligible to play again. Dennis Hildeby goes back down. Uh, we've discussed a lot about the idea of maybe trading Ilya Samsonov, trying to get out from underneath the salary, opening up $3.5 million to play with before the deadline for Brad for living. Uh, but what would it take in your in your mind to deal him? Clearly, he's a distressed asset. Maybe someone would take a, a flyer on him playing pretty good hockey for them down the stretch. Maybe not a team with a serious ambition, but are the Leafs in a, in a scenario right now where they're going to have to attach something truly meaningful in order to trade Ilya Samsonov? I don't think so because I think there's enough teams that are out there that it would at least take a flyer to see if they could possibly rehab his game. I mean, it's only one year ago that we're talking about Ilya Samsonov being a, a core piece of this Maple Leaf team moving forward to this year. Kind of before things took a weird turn with the arbitration, the one-year award that comes from it, and things have gone off the rails since then. So, you know, in terms of having the different options that are on the table around the rest of the league. Um, you know, Peter Morazic is making similar type money, which who, by the way, he was left for dead by the Leafs two years ago and has been quite good for the Chicago Blackhawks this year. And that depleted roster at league average save percentage, which is saying something for a roster that bad, mm-hmm. but you, you look around the league at some of the other options, whether it's Jacob Markstrom or, you know, whoever it might be, you're looking at mostly guys that have term and, that's probably something that a lot of teams, as we're looking at the changing goalie dynamic and the market shift, that teams don't want to be connected to. You want no strings attached if you're a team looking for a goalie and a, a potential 1B. And if you have any hope or faith in in Samsonov getting out of Toronto and being a potential difference maker, then that makes a lot of sense. So I think the Leafs really, at the end of the day, need an answer. Is this guy part of a solution or is he part of a problem? Mm. And I we don't know the answer to that yet. So far, he's been part of the problem. And there's been that crazy Sportsnet stat that was going around mm-hmm. the last couple of days. If the Leafs took out Samsonov's games this year, that... Um, you know, the two perfor- the performances from Martin Jones and Joe Wall, they'd be tops in the league in save mm-hmm. percentage. Like, that's not how it works exactly. Like, you don't just get to delete 15 we games like that from Elias. I like that, that one a lot. I use it a couple times. <laughs> it's an unreal stat, but that it, unfortunately, that's not how it works. Um, but that you, you got to figure this out because if not, if you trust Martin Jones, which I do and I'm a believer in, and I obviously really like Joe Wall and his modern NHL game, 
to take that three and a half million bucks and smash it together with the money that you have from John Klingberg, you're talking about seven and a half million dollars where mm-hmm. you could find two to three really big difference makers and vault this team from where it is right now into the inner circle of true Stanley Cup contenders. Well, we probably will find out. Uh, they got a back-to-back this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, so people are projecting maybe that Sunday night game against the Detroit Red Wings, but... We, time will tell. Uh, Frank, we covered all the bases today. Appreciate your time. Uh, we'll definitely chat with you soon. Have a good one, guys. Thanks so much. Frank Cervelli, uh, hockey content, uh, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Uh, Maple Leafs had a very easy win last night. Boy, yep. that San Jose team. Not oh. a lot of redeemable qualities is how oh, I'll put it man. nicely. It is, uh, it's pretty rough. Pretty rough. I don't know how to get through the rest of the season. Like, it's just going to be painful. Ackland Celebrini time. Yeah. I guess that's what you're looking for. The pot of gold, I guess. That's unpromised at the end of the rainbow. Uh, Both Toronto teams are in action. And I think a lot more headlines came from the Toronto Raptors, uh, to say it lightly. Darko Ryakovich, of course, being the trending topic, probably on every single program across North America. That covers content to everyone who does a show like this one. And if somehow you've missed it, here's a short snippet of head coach of the Toronto Raptors post game after the Raptors lost by just one point to the Lakers and LeBron, and with a fourth quarter free throw discrepancy of 23 to two, that's just in the fourth quarter, uh, which was the largest discrepancy in any quarter in the NBA this season. If you haven't had a chance to listen, well, buckle up. Here you go. That's 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 outrageous. What happened tonight? This is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees, shame for the league to allow this. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws in in a fourth quarter. Like, how to play the game. They had to win tonight? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. I love this so much. I think that Darko became an NBA head coach last night. Mm. I think he solidified himself in the conversation of, I'm not here just to be the guy that you know, is the fun personality in the locker room with the chain. Like, he stood up for his players. He held on for the moment that was right. And there's no bigger stage than the very last game of the night when everyone's watching and you're playing LeBron James and you're in L.A. and your team and their team both need a win. And this fourth quarter was absolutely absurd. It There's just no one. I, I know I'm a Toronto fan, but... There's no other way to spin what we saw last night. It was pretty much a disgrace to refereeing and to what NBA games should look like. And he waited and he was patient for his moment and he got on the podium and he delivered bars. And everything he had to say, I agree with. And I think his team probably looked around and said, that's our head coach sticking up for us. And the uh, the Maple Leafs, the Raptors have a lot of basketball to be played tonight. They got a huge one against the Clippers. And I think they rally around that. How could you not? That guy showed heart, soul, fierceness. He's not just going to like let this happen to their team on continuous basis, which he did mention, but I loved it. I loved it. It's almost like a rite of passage for Raptors coaches. (laughs) Like, I don't know how people in say like Charlotte feel about the way NBA refs treat them in games against LeBron or the Lakers or the Boston Celtics, whomever it might be. But there is a feeling in Toronto that, like, the referees are never mm-hmm. on their side. Or well, that was an the example. stars for the Raptors <laughs> never get the calls that a different team or a different star in LeBron James would get. Uh, 
but I love that he took this opportunity the same way that you said. Mm-hmm. And I loved really everything about what we saw from the Raptors last night. Like, yes, they were fighting a battle. It seemed like they couldn't win. But boy, did they play hard down the stretch. They didn't let it bother Boy, did they earn better. And boy, did Darko Rayakovich stand up for his guys. Like, I loved everything that we saw about it, even when it seemed like everything was working against the Raptors. Yeah, they they put up a fight and didn't let that, some of the colorful words that Darko used, bother them at all. He saved it for after, which I think was important as well. All right, so Raptors are back in action tonight against uh, Kawhi, who just signed an extension on the same day that he plays Raptors. No coincidence know, Just there. fitting. Uh, we're going to have a great in-studio guest up next, Aaron Bronstetter of Sportsnet. Our newest colleague joins us in studio to talk about UFC just around the corner. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Pregame, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The Fan, um, our colleague fan base is growing. We've been excited to be able to chat with Aaron Bronsetter, who is now a ploy, uh, an employee with us here. Aaron, we are so happy to have you. Welcome to the family. How's it going? Thank you. It's going great. <laughs> you know, my first ever job in this business mm-hmm. was as an intern here at the Fan 590. So it's come full circle. And your producer, Mike, uh, helped me get my first job really in this industry. So it's, it's cool to be back here and, and see so many familiar faces and of course be reunited with Mike who's who's the man so you guys are in good hands uh, we are in good hands uh, it begs the question though because you you know that that's the first job but now you're covering uh MMA mm-hmm. and the UFC specifically uh professionally uh, how did how did you get started into this because like it's it's been a, like a niche sport for a while of course it's been something that's grown into the public conscious consciousness um but it's something that I guess you had an interest in early and, and you definitely made uh, an impressive run at MMA reporting. So how did this all come to be? Well, it's been a pretty long road, right? So originally I'd started off as a producer uh, at what was then known as Hardcore Sports Radio and then the Score uh, Satellite Radio Station. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was producing for uh, Mauro Ronaldo, who did an MMA show, and, and Gabe Morenci, who was a big fan of MMA. And uh, I was like obsessed with basketball back then. I wanted to cover <laughs> basketball. And that was kind of the only thing that I thought about all the time. And then I started to watch mixed martial arts and, this is back before I had three kids. I was able to PVR like <laughs> Japanese mixed martial arts and uh, different mixed martial arts shows and just become so consumed with it that it really kind of took over that uh, mental space that I had for sports. And I guess I'm something of an obsessive. When I get into something, I really want to dive in and go down that rabbit hole as much as possible. So um, that allowed me to get into MMA. And then in terms of reporting on it, I just kept saying, like, we got to cover the sports going to get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. We need to cover this. I actually really put my name in the hat to be a producer and, and, let's send some talent and I'll, I'll help produce it. And they just said, um, you, you should do it. And that's kind of how I got my start. They just knew that I was a, a really valuable employee and, and did all kinds of different jobs. And they just empowered me to report on the sport. And thankfully they did that because uh, here we are seven years later and I'm, I'm here at Sportsnet and I'm so excited to help <laughs> bring this new deal that we have with the UFC that I guess begins really for all intents and purposes on Saturday with mm-hmm. the event. Um, and, and make it as big as possible here. So kind of a trailblazer in a way. And I wonder for you, because you've been so focused on spearheading this and being a, a massive part of it, how can we cover the sport better, right? It's not all on your shoulders. Now we get to be a part of this. I'm To be honest, I'm a very new fan in this, which is exciting because I'm coming in with like a lot of questions and a lot of experiences to be gleaned. But how can we, as I guess, as a company and as a, as a community and a country, cover this growing sport even better? 
yeah, you know, I think it's not just uh, people covering the sport and following mm-hmm. the sport and being in media like yourselves. I think that everybody kind of needs to peel back the layers of the onion when it comes mm-hmm. to mixed martial arts. Because I always say there's kind of like a two-minute test. Like if you, if you can't watch the first two minutes of a mixed martial arts fight and it's too visceral for you or, or too violent or mm-hmm. anything like that, you're probably not going to be a fan. If you can get past that first two minutes, you have the capacity to be somebody who's all in with mixed martial arts. And I think it's just about learning about the beauty of the sport, really. To me, I think that once it stops going from being a fight to becoming kind of a sport and an athletic endeavor that you can really see how it is sort of like human chess. You know, that mm. everybody's got the different techniques that they have and you're, you're, they've got to really solve puzzles and, and be high-level problem solvers in real time, which I think is what makes the sport so interesting is, is having to come up with solutions on the fly in a one-on-one capacity that you don't see in a whole lot of other sports. I mean, in tennis, that's kind of a, a good one-on-one sport example. You, you have to make little adjustments here and there, but you have a long stretch of time in order to do that and to, to get your rhythm. Whereas in MMA, it's just such a fast-paced sport at a breakneck speed. It's a 15-minute fight for the most <laughs> part, you know, 95% of the time, unless it's a championship fight or an amateur fight. And, uh, you know, the, these individuals, if you make one little mistake, the fight's mm-hmm. over. So tell us about the state of MMA uh, in Canada right now. I mean, you're talking about your beginnings uh, watching and covering the sport. I mean, I remember being in college, George St. Pierre fights. I mean, it would kind of stop everything because everybody, the whole country would kind of shut down and, and pay attention to one of the finest athletes that's ever come out of this country, compete at, at the very highest level. And we don't have a George St. Pierre right now, but at UFC 297, which is in about 10 days in Toronto and Scotiabank Arena, will be nine Canadians in action. I think Mike Malott's probably the highest profile one right now. But in terms of Canadian talent fighting in the UFC, uh, fighting in other organizations, like are, are we closer to having uh, another George St. Pierre? Are we closer to having someone else who's going to fight for a title? Like where would you sort of assess uh, where the talent is in this country as it pertains to mixed martial arts? It's interesting because I think George St. Pierre is a gift and a curse. A gift because, of course, you got to enjoy perhaps the greatest mixed martial artist to ever do it, carrying the Canadian flag so proudly and being such a gentleman in the sport and doing everything the right way. But the problem is we've got like 15, 20 Canadians in the UFC right now of the 700 fighters on the roster. And when there's a new American fighter, people aren't like, let's see if this guy's the next John Jones. Or if there's a new Brazilian fighter, people aren't like, let's see if this is the next Anderson Silva. Because we have so few Canadian fighters, everybody's waiting for that next GSP, the next George St. Pierre. And I mean, we're talking about an unrealistic level of expectation because we're talking about one of the consensus top three to ever do it. Now, every Canadian that gets in there is going to have that same sort of expectation <laughs> on them to be this superstar. And everybody's like, When's, what's the state of Canadian mixed martial arts? It's the question I've been asked in every mm-hmm. single interview I've done today because people are curious whether we're going to get that next George St. Pierre. Now, I think Mike Malott, who's on the main card, he's the last fight before the title fight take place at UFC 297, which is next weekend mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto. That's going to be an interesting one because he's a welterweight. We've had the, the lineage of welterweight champions with Carlos Newton, followed by George St. Pierre. Rory McDonald was very close. He yeah. fought for the title in the UFC, became a title holder in Bellator. And now we've got this guy, Mike Malott. He's getting all of these finishes. He's got all this hype, and now he's finally facing a ranked opponent. And he's got that expectation on him to be the next George St. Pierre. And if he doesn't, Meet that, does that mean that his career is not worth talking about? Like We're still talking about a high-level competitor here uh, that's representing Canada. So I think the state of MMA in Canada is starting to turn the corner because they had the event in Vancouver, the first one since the pandemic last June, and the Canadians ran the table. It was mm. such a triumphant night for this country. And 
I think, again, the expectations for UFC 297 is that the Canadians are going to be able to do the same thing. And I think those are very lofty expectations. So UFC 297 is January 20th. We also have UFC 299, which is one of the best cards I've ever seen in terms of uh, on paper. It's truly bonkers. But that precedes UFC 300. And if I know anything about the UFC, I know they like to celebrate round numbers. UFC 100 (laughs) was big. 200 was big. I, I get that, or I imagine that 300 will be big. Do you know what is planned for another landmark show for the UFC? This is the big question right now in the <laughs> UFC, because like you mentioned, UFC 299 is so stacked that we don't really know how they're going to be able to beat it. Like UFC 299 <laughs> is like a nine and, nine, uh, nine and a half out of 10 mm. card in terms of how you would grade it. So now what are they going to have to do to get a 10 out of 10 for UFC 300? From what we believe we know, it hasn't been confirmed by the UFC, but Conor McGregor says he's not fighting until June at International Fight Week. So that's a big name that is no longer available for that card. Are they going to get creative and try to lure back a Ronda Rousey, a Brock Lesnar, a George St. Pierre to get that kind of casual mainstream appeal that you could bring for a UFC 300? UFC 299 is a great card on paper if you're a diehard of the sport. But what are they going to be able to do to bring in that average consumer, the one that doesn't tune into the UFC that regularly? And I think right now it's, it's really difficult to come up with something that they can do that's going to be that sort of big splash as we see events like UFC 299 come down with all of this name value. They're going to have to get creative here if they're going to want to put together a card that's better than what we're going to see at 299. Are there some stars that we should be, stars on the rise that we should be like, okay, I'm going to buy in now because in a year, and two years. Ailish is looking for fighters to, yeah. to become As fans. I said, so I'm, a, I'm for... a new fan and I like, yeah. I, I want to pick someone that I can like take that journey with together, right? Somebody that maybe right now is is not the hot ticket, the hot name, but someone I could get excited to follow along. Like, is there, and they don't have to be Canadian either. Just somebody coming up that you're excited about, something you're excited about in terms of the next year of fighting. All right, so a couple of names. We've got Shavkat Rachmanov. He fought back in December, undefeated fighter mm-hmm. from Kazakhstan in the welterweight division. This guy is just so well-rounded and has such a high fight IQ. He's mm-hmm. so good everywhere. He's someone to watch. Bo Nichols fighting at UFC 300. He is one of the most decorated amateur wrestlers that we've ever seen transition to mixed martial arts. Uh, the only re- thing that really prevented him probably from becoming like a multiple-time gold medalist or world champion was that he happened to fight in the same division as David Taylor, who was like a generational amateur wrestler. And now we've got Bo Nickel in the UFC, and he's just running through people left and right, finishing people in the first minute and a half of, of the fights. There's actually a guy that was added to UFC 299 yesterday, uh, Robles de, Cham- de, uh, de Pagne, I believe is how it's pronounced. And he was a Taekwondo Olympian, oh, who's, I think his last three fights have been a combined 19 seconds. Like this guy oh is just an absolute monster. Has Can't the longest do the two-minute test with him. Yeah, longest reach in UFC <laughs> history. Blink. He's at UFC 299. Sean O'Malley's the champion right now at Bantamweight. And if he can beat Cheeto Vera at UFC 299 and then maybe get another win or two, you could be looking at the next transcendent star in the sport. So there's a lot to get excited about mm-hmm. right now. But the thing about the UFC that makes it not pro wrestling is that the outcomes are not uh, already determined. You know, the, mm-hmm. we, we, these athletes need to deliver constantly in order to meet that, that potential and that expectation that we have for them. So kind of scrapping like everything that we know about the first few months of these uh, of the year and, and the events that are already lined up, what for you, Aaron, is the best fight the UFC can put on in 2024? Like if it might be John Jones, who I think is kind of sparring online with Tom Aspinall, and they're trying to figure out if that fight will even work. But I'll, like forget like hype and what might draw the most just in terms of talent the best fight that the UFC could possibly put together in 2024 for you would be what? 
Oh, it's a great question because uh, there are a lot of really skilled fighters in all of the different divisions right now. Um, in terms of like competitively, it's hard because we, we've got a lot of champions that are going to be difficult to unseat. I think that if they could get Hamza Shemaev against Israel Adesanya, like if Israel ended up winning the championship back, that, that's a rumored fight for UFC 300 is him facing the winner of Sean Strickland and Drakus Duplessis at UFC 297. If you could get a Hamza Shemaev, Israel fight, that's a really high-level fight. I think Shavkat Rachmanov, if he ends up fighting whoever is going to be the welterweight champion when he gets his opportunity, I think that's a pretty big one as well in terms of a highly competitive fight. There are a lot of really big fights that we could see this year, which is what's always so exciting about the UFC. So I'm hoping to go to my first UFC event uh, next Saturday in Toronto. Still hoping to get there. I wonder for you, what do you remember your first event? Like what that excitement is like, what I can expect as a fan and not even as a media member, just going and embracing the energy and the chaos that's probably to come. Yeah, my first fight that I attended was UFC 87. It was Heath Herring against Brock Lesnar. It was the (laughs) first ever UFC fight of John Jones. (laughs) That was a pretty good card to be at, I will say. And uh, John Fitch versus George St. Pierre was on that card as well. So that was my first uh, card that I got to see. I still remember after John Jones fought, it was on the prelims, which aired exclusively on Facebook at the time. Oh, my God. That you could only, I don't even think you could watch replays of it. And afterwards, he was just walking around the, like, building, taking pictures of people and signing autographs. It was really cool. He was, like, a 20 year or, like, 19 years old or something at the time, something crazy like that. Uh, it might be a little different now, is what you're saying know, to expect. Yeah. <laughs> little did we know that this guy who was just, like, looked okay that mm-hmm. night would end up being the youngest champion in UFC history four years later. Uh, pretty incredible to see, but uh, yeah, very memorable. And, you know, I've been to a lot of events where you can really feel the atmosphere, like events at Madison Square Garden are something special, like the ground is shaking and people are really into it. So that's (laughs) always cool. But I'm always in the back, like I'm backstage. Mm -hmm. So I don't really get to feel that energy quite as much as people that are sitting, you know, right Mm -hmm. in the stands. That's what I think makes going to a UFC event special. You know, watching it on, on TV, I think it's one of the best TV sports. And it's probably better on TV than watching it live, in my opinion, if you were to watch every event live Mm -hmm. versus every event on TV, right? Like, I think that eventually that live cachet wears out, but there's nothing like attending a UFC event for the first time or whenever it's in town and getting to feed off of that energy of the the crowd in your city. Uh, You mentioned seeing Jones, the first fight ever, and him being a teenager signing autographs. I mean, there's a great argument that he's the greatest of all time. I know we have a Canadian bias here, but would you consider Jones that? I do. I think John Jones is the greatest uh, fighter of all time. Um, what he did, I think, if you're watching the sport today in 2024, I don't think that people understand the significance of what he did. When he entered the UFC, the light heavyweight division is like what the lightweight division is today. It was like murderer's row. You had like Rampage Jackson. You had Rashad Evans. You had Chuck Liddell. You had Shogun Hua. You had like all of these massive names that had come over from Japan. And John Jones ran through them like a knife through butter. Like it's, it was really unfathomable what he was able to do back then. I actually feel like that was the best part of his career because that's when he really just took uh, such a strong division and turned it on its head and ran through it. I just like, I still can't believe it to this day. Uh, Sportsnet's partnership with the UFC begins in earnest this weekend with uh, Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker headlining, uh, I believe, at the UFC Apex. You can correct me on that, Aaron. Uh, but is there another fight on this card worth turning into? Like, Because we could get to the main event a little later on in the night, but should we turn in? when should we tune in earlier for uh, another fight, be it earlier on the main card or a prelim fight that has uh, your attention? 
Well, I won't correct you because you're 100% right. But uh, <laughs> the uh, co-main event is a really interesting one because it's similar circumstances to the first one. You know, the first one is a rematch with a, some unfinished business. It was uh, an illegal knee that caused the doctor to, to really, I think, erroneously stop the fight early. Uh, and now they get to run that one back. The co-main event is Manel Kopp taking on uh, Mateus Nicolau. And they had a fight a couple of years ago that the judges gave to Nicolau that almost everybody felt that Manel Kopp won. And I think Manel Kopp is a guy who's going to challenge for the flyweight championship as soon as this year. He's a really, really talented fighter. And I think that's a fight that, that's going to be must-watch. I love the flyweight division. You know, this is the division the UFC almost got rid of at one point in time. And I think it's probably one of the three most exciting divisions to watch in the sport. I know you've had a busy day going through all of the uh, the media tour with us. We get to be the best for last, hopefully, right? Absolutely. Okay, there we you go. Know, this is great to be here. I love that the studio is awesome. Oh, you guys yeah. do a great job, and this is really good. great to be able to be on with you guys. Ailish and Justin, you guys are the dream team. Let's oh, go. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, well, we appreciate your time. We'll let you go. I know you got lots to get ready for this weekend and the next weekend, of course, but we'll have you on lots. Uh, we're excited to be partners and be colleagues with you again. I know it's the first time for us, but Mike, our producer, has been pumped to have you back in the fold. So we appreciate all your time, and uh, we'll definitely tell all our listeners where to find all your work and where they can watch uh, UFC on Sportsnet. So thanks so much. Thank you. I'm excited to be back in the fold and excited to be doing the show whenever you guys will have me definitely uh we'll we'll call you lots so <laughs> you, you wish you didn't say that <laughs> uh that's aaron bronsetter of course of sportsnet and on saturday january 20th the ufc does make their long anticipated return here to toronto at ufc 297 at scotiabank arena and fans can watch the prelims on sportsnet 360 and sportsnet plus with the main card pay-per-view also available to order on sportsnet plus by visiting sportsnetplus.ca slash ufc Lots to come. I know this weekend we just talked about another opportunity. We have lots of fighting, and I need to get into it, Justin. I need to, like, pick a lane. Who's my team? Who's my guy? What's my vibe? What's my storyline? So I'm going to need, maybe I should, like, ask audience uh, I, perspective for that. I think the two-minute test is going to be an interesting one. If you and I can get into the building in 10 days uh, for UFC 297, <laughs> uh, again, I guess you'd have to, like, kind of go through the entire card in terms of two minutes. But I want to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, for you, uh, up close and personal, because... I like I, an underdog story. Okay. Like, I don't want to pick the person that's the best. See, this this is the thing that I like the most about the UFC. It is really fun to place bets on it, to wager on it because you (laughs) you can go through a night and it's like immediate, like just a fight every 30 minutes. You can watch the whole thing if you like, and you can go through it. And if you're just betting underdogs, I think you're going to have time of your life (laughs) cheering on every underdog that comes out. And I think it'll be especially entertaining cage side. I have been lucky enough to watch a UFC fight cage side. What? I told you about this. No, you did Masquerading as a media member oh, a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, well. And it was... I thought you meant like you were VIP. No, you know? no, I'm okay, never VIP. I don't, have, I don't have VIP right. credentials yeah, no, like was, our, our so buddy surprised. Aaron Bronsetter. <laughs> but it was, uh, it, was, it was awesome. It was completely different up close and personal. I could see mm-hmm. why like, you know, 500 level, like maybe you're squinting a little bit, but when you're right there mm-hmm. and you can like feel and hear everything that's happening, uh, it's truly a one-of-a-kind experience. I'm excited. Uh, we will get ourselves there. On Saturday. We're trying. He loves us. He said we're the dream team. I don't know. I know he's got pull. I don't know I'm how like, much Does he pull. need an assistant to like help him transcribe? Someone to like that. carry his camera. I could certainly do that. A bag, for a tripod. Uh, shameless. But we'll do our best. Okay. Uh, lots else happened in the sporting world today. A weird day for head coaches. Specifically head coaches of football teams. Um, Nick Saban out uh, retiring from Alabama after six titles with them uh that one caught us off guard this was Mm -hmm. all like 20 minutes before our show (laughs) pete carroll no longer the seahawks head coach uh will still be an advisor 
it's like, what's the third shoe to drop? Is it Bill Belichick? I'm not saying that that's happened yet, but there's rumors of it. Uh, between those two, it's uh, it, some of the greatest ever to move on at the same day. Yeah, I mean, and again, Belichick not done, but the, mm-hmm. we could see the greatest pro and college coaches ever mm-hmm. moving on sort of in the same time, right? Like, again, we don't know what's going to happen with Bill Belichick, but the Nick Saban one is pretty stunning because this is a guy, I mean, I was stunned to learn his age, 72 years old. I mean, mm-hmm. it would make some sense because as much as it is so hard to coach at the professional level, I mean, the college level adds another layer where you're constantly competing for recruits, constantly trying to upkeep image, constantly trying to prove that you can provide the best, uh, I don't want to say care, but experience for Mm -hmm. athletes that have their pick of the litter, could go anywhere across the country and play at a high level, like recruiting and the recruiting process on top of being a head coach for a team that has to win every year or it's a major disappointment, like I feel like that would weigh on you. And yet he looked pretty good for 72. I was shocked to learn well, that I mean, he was he won in the a 70s. lot, so that probably helps. But he won a lot. And, <laughs> and uh, I don't know, you lose into a Big Ten team in the college football playoff. Was that enough uh, for him? Is hmm. it the changes we're seeing in college football with the Pac-12 dissolving and joining the, uh, the Big Ten? Like maybe it was just time, but there's a sea change in college football uh, just happening just in general. And I, I wonder, because that was such a great position, really why and what the impetus of that decision was. But at the same time, what an opportunity for who comes next. Seriously, The Alabama job is open. The best job in college football, in college sports is open. And now I'm fascinated to see who will step into that. Would you rather be the guy stepping into... Alabama's head coaching role or somebody with one of these vacant NFL jobs? I guess it depends. I mean, are, are you going to get paid like Saban if you, if you go no, to Alabama? No, you don't get, that, get his paycheck right away. But like, you, does Jim Harbaugh just, like, reroute and go? No, I, that to me would be crazy. I guess. I mean, I, I think it, it, the dream is to get to the NFL unless you're a Saban who mm-hmm. has, again, it didn't work in the NFL, went back to Alabama or went back to college football and had so much success. At Alabama, I, I generally think everyone's trying to get to the professional level, but I think some people would be better even at the college level mm-hmm. because recruiting is something that might be considered a strength. But if I'm looking at like all the jobs that are open and potentially open, is Bama not the biggest in football? I when definitely you're including think so. Chargers and Titans and, and the talent potentially they have. the Patriots. Mm-hmm. It's Bama. I would I would definitely take that. Like, I think maybe I have a bias to college sports and, like, understanding what it's like to be a part of, like, a college community. And Alabama, like, is the is the mecca. Like, it is the place that you think of when you think of college football. I mean, maybe even just because I grew up watching it, uh, I was playing college sports. You hear about the atmosphere at these games. I wanted so badly to get to one. The opportunity to coach a team with that that history, like, the opportunity, but also the pressure. The shoes, though. Yeah, that's, I think the pressure's immense, right? Oh, there's nobody that's, unless you're, like, unless Bill Belichick goes and take, which never happened. Like, who has a title or a resume like Nick Saban? Nobody. And that's the weird thing. It's like. So do you start with someone new and fresh and upcoming? It's almost like it it makes it, because New England, it doesn't feel like there's any pressure. No, it's like a blank slate already. It's a blank slate. And yet we are only a couple years removed from Dynasty, right? And, And I guess Alabama is freshly. Uh, moved on from said dynasty. I mean, I guess it uh, kind of all blends in together. But I just feel like 
yeah, how are how are even recruits going to like deal with this? Is it like mm. are are they pulling uh commitments what because if you've, yeah, what if you've already committed it and that's feel, not your head coach? It feels like there's more hazards with mm-hmm. joining Alabama, but again, the success and the rewards and everything that you would get for having success there for filling the Saban shoes would be immense. All right, we have about a minute and a half for best bets for tonight. Um, I am going to go with the Flyers tonight. They've had a lot of eyes on them, uh, if you haven't noticed. They are playing the Montreal Canadiens. The Flyers are, like, pushing for a playoff spot here. So I'm going to take them on the money – sorry, on the puck line, minus one and a half. That's plus 145 tonight. Talked about how much Darko did for this Raptors team in my mind and my hope. Uh, Tonight they're playing the Clippers, who are damn good. Uh, It's a tough one, second half, back-to-back Clippers waiting for you. But instead of betting Raptors, I'm going to bet Scotty because his coach went out on a limb and and really said, this guy is going to be the face of the league. So if Scotty doesn't ball out tonight, it's going to look bad. It's going to age poorly right away. So Scotty double-double for me, plus 250. And he's going against Kawhi and was like, you know, Kawhi was the past. Are you the future? Yes, Scotty Barnes. Uh, I'm feeling a revenge spot for the Clippers or against the Raptors, but I'm not going with Kawhi Leonard, who might be celebrating uh, that contract yeah. and the 150 plus million <laughs> that he just added to his career earnings. Instead, I'll go Norman Powell. I think it's Norm Knight. Norm. Over 13 and a half points. <laughs> okay. Because Kawhi's, you know, too busy celebrating. Maybe Norm steps up tonight. I kind of like the under and the Flyers and Habs as well. God, a lot of revenge angles tonight. Raptors versus Kawhi. Kawhi signs a contract, same day. Flyers got new look. Jamie Drysdale in the lineup tonight. It's, oh, it's a miss. We should have had any time point. I already looked. I couldn't find it before the show. So okay. I have. Uh, that's fair. If you can find it now, you by the time I those. put this in, then you know. Endorse. Rubber stamp. Find it. Find it. Find it. All right. Uh, that was a great Wednesday. Thanks to Frank and Aaron for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow on Baby Friday.